I have a question uh, for us to consider, and it's this. When do you feel alone? Now, notice I didn't say, when are you alone? I said, when do you feel alone? Because uh, people can feel alone in all different kinds of situations, right? You can feel alone sitting in a large group just like this. Like, I know some of you come to church and you feel alone sitting right here amongst a crowd. I've done counseling, I've done ministry enough to know that some people feel alone in their marriage, right? In this relationship that's supposed to be this intimate, connected relationship, some people feel alone there. And then some people feel alone when they are alone. And what we're going to see today is this. So let me ask you again, when do you feel alone? Because here's the deal, we live in the most connected time in human history, right? Like I have friends on Facebook who I literally haven't seen their face, face to face, in decades. And yet they know my oldest son is a senior this year and went to a dance on Friday night, right? We are that connected. But even though as a society, and this is worldwide, even though as a society we are more connected than we've ever been, we are also more lonely than we've ever been. Did you know in the United Kingdom, they now have an official government office called the Ministry of Loneliness? And it's a person who is dedicated to combating this feeling of loneliness that the nation is feeling. So yes, we're the most connected but we're also the most lonely we've ever been. And you see, we all feel lonely. We all feel alone at one time or another. But what we're gonna see today is that what we do when we feel alone is what makes all the difference, right? Because we all feel alone. But what we do when we feel alone makes all the difference. Now today we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 19, verses one through 12. If you need a Bible... There's some in front of you, and it's page 682 of that Bible. Um, or like Brian said, you can download the Bible app, and we're on the Bible app. Just uh, open up the Bible app, click on events, click on Fellowship Asheville, and everything uh, that you need is right there. Uh, and we are in our Can I Say That series, uh, which is a series that we put together. Normally, we don't do series. Normally, we teach through books of the Bible. But, but I have been getting questions uh, for years about some common topics uh, that I wanted to address and just rip the Band-Aid off and do them all in one series. So we have talked about politics. We have talked about money. Uh, we have talked about sex. Uh, and today we're talking about singleness. And we're talking about loneliness. And what we're doing in this series is we're taking a common thought that we all have. And we're taking that thought and looking at it through the grid of Scripture. And what we're seeing time and time again is that what Scripture has for us with those thoughts that are common to all of us, sometimes those truths are absolutely scandalous. And so what we're seeing in this series are are scandalous statements that are biblically true. And that's why we're calling it, Can I Say That? Because sometimes God's word seems so scandalous, it does make us kind of shocked. And can I really say that? Well, today we're going to talk about what we can uh, all learn from a particular group of people too. Now, now with this, this thought that we have that we're going to run through scripture is this, I feel alone. And so we're going to look at what do we do when I feel alone? And there's a group of us that I think we can learn a lot from 
Because there's a group of us in this church and in our community that actually the culture says this particular group is plagued with loneliness. Some would even say they are cursed with loneliness. Right? And it's that single crowd that comes here at church. It's that single crowd that's out in our community, whether divorced or widowed or never married. This group is considered to be plagued with loneliness. However... Remember, I'm saying there's something we can learn from them because what we see, there's a group of singles in scripture that we're gonna talk about at the end. There's a group of singles here at this church that are doing singleness differently than the world is doing singleness. And we can learn from them what to do when we feel alone because we all feel alone at one point or another. Now, in Matthew 19, we're gonna pick up Uh, with the Pharisees engaging with Jesus. And and remember a couple of weeks ago, or last week we talked about the Pharisees and like their deal was obedience, right? They obeyed the law and they wanted to do everything that God said to do. Their identity was tied up in their perfection of doing that. And so they kept wanting to corner Jesus and they kept wanting to test him to see where his mistakes were. Right? They kept testing Jesus to see where he was wrong. And today, we're going to see them do that again. And they're going to try and find fault in Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. When the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, what's interesting is they're asking about divorce. And these Pharisees uh, were looking to see what camp Jesus was in. Because in the time where Jesus was doing ministry in the nation of Israel, there were these different schools of thought about divorce. And, and, And some school of thought thought that you didn't divorce your spouse for any reason. And on the other side of that spectrum was this group of of, of religious leaders who said, actually, you can divorce your wife for any reason. Like if she burns the toast in the morning, you have a right to divorce her. That was the camps. And then some stuff in between. And, And these Pharisees wanted to test Jesus and go, okay, what camp is he in? What does he think about divorce? Well, look Look at how Jesus answers. It says, and he answered, have you not read that he, create, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So what Jesus does, and what's interesting in the Gospels, you see Jesus do this a lot, that, that, the, that the, the religious leaders will ask him a question to test him, and he gives them like this Jesus whammy, right? He, he takes them a completely different place. So when they ask about, about divorce, Jesus doesn't start off talking about divorce, he starts off talking about marriage. And he starts off talking about what God has intended for marriage, And here we see, just like we saw last week, that Jesus is teaching that marriage is one man and one woman coming together. And something happens that makes that relationship different than any other mixed gender relationship that they have in their life, and that is sex. That when a husband and wife come together, when a man and a woman become husband and wife, sex happens in that relationship. And that's one of the ways the Bible sees oneness 
that there is this physical union and that there's two bodies that fit together perfectly. But there's something else to this oneness. Look at, look at verse 6. It says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. That's that idea of physical oneness. What therefore God has joined together, Jesus says. So he's looking at these Pharisees and he's saying, you're asking about something. We're gonna get to that in just a minute. But you need to understand that something happens when a husband and when a man and a woman become husband and wife. That happens only in that relationship. And it isn't just about a physical relationship. God is also involved. That when a husband and wife become husband and wife, when a man and woman stand to make their their vows to one another, it's not just a commitment to love that person for as long as you will love them. It is a covenant between them and God. And so that in every marriage, there's always three people. It's the husband, it's the wife, and God. And that God has joined this marriage together. And so this oneness that Jesus is talking about is more than just a physical union. It's actually this, this, this sense of permanency to marriage because God has put these two people together, this man and this woman, and that marriage is intended to be until death parts. And look at the rest of verse six. It says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so even though God means for marriage to be until death separates, he acknowledges it's actually within the power of those in the relationship to separate. And if you think about it, just the the theology of this, that he just said God has joined these two together, but man actually has the ability to separate what God has done. That is powerful. And I think it's interesting too that he doesn't say they can separate. He says the man can separate because their question was, is it okay for a man to separate from his wife, to divorce his wife? And Jesus actually says, yes, man, it is okay. I mean, not okay. You do have the power to do that. And so he doesn't let them blame somebody else. He, he puts the responsibility right back on their shoulders. And so what Jesus is doing here is, is, is he's really setting them up because he's saying marriage is designed to be this lifelong decision between a man and a woman, but it's possible for those marriage bonds to break. Now listen, I know some of you are right now thinking, why, why are we talking about divorce? Right, some of you have been divorced. Some of you are going through a divorce. And here's what I want you to know about divorce. Some of you are going through a divorce, honestly, for fair and legitimate reasons. Jesus is gonna talk about those in just a minute. Some of you have gone through divorce and it hasn't been fair or it hasn't been legitimate. And when you read in the book of Malachi that God hates divorce, you know what that means. I've been counseling now for over 20 years. The best version I've seen of divorce is amicable. That's the best. Most of the time, it is ugly and it is vicious. And I've seen some of you be the 
be the recipient of that ugliness and be the recipient of that, of that meanness. And so for some of you, believe it or not, I'm actually going to have some comfort for you in this message. But for some of you, for some of you, this message is actually going to feel very convicting. Because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to get to the heart of their question. And when he gets to the heart of their question, my prayer has been this week that he's going to get to your heart as well. And so for some of you, this message will be comforting. For some of you, this message is going to be convicting. And here's what I ask you to do. Let the Spirit of God do with you what the Spirit of God needs to do with you today. If he needs to comfort you, let him comfort you. If he needs to convict you, let him convict you because there is hope. All right? Let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this. It says, And they said to him, so this is the Pharisees responding, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And so what Jesus is saying is, is listen, the, the same problem that you have right now is the same problem that Moses had to deal with way back then. And he allowed you to divorce your wife because there was a condition in you that was common then and it's common now. And I'll tell you for us, it's common in today's world too. And that is hardness of heart. But Jesus also says from the beginning it wasn't so. His, God's plan for marriage has always been reconciliation, right? But he's saying there's something that happens in some people where their hearts just grow hard. And the, and the picture that he uses here is, is literally something that is soft and malleable, starts to become calloused and, and, and crusty, and it eventually it becomes stone. And that the person who has the hard heart, they, they, they stop being able to see the way God sees. They lose their spiritual perspective. They lose their spiritual perspective of their marriage, of their spouse. They lose their spiritual perspective of life in general and their heart just becomes cold and, and hard. And we've seen it. We, you see them grow in their cynicism, Right? They start talking about everything that's wrong in the world and everything that's wrong in the marriage and, and, and not seeing what God is doing that's good and, and their heart and the, their marriage heart and the, and the heart of their marriage and the heart of those around them. They just can't see what God is doing. Look at verse nine. And I say to you, so this is still Jesus talking, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Now, this verse has caused some controversy. Like, what does it mean? Let me tell you what it means. Is Jesus giving an out for divorce? Kind of. He's already said as hard as reconciliation. But what adultery does is it shows the hard heart of the person in the marriage. Because what adultery does is it takes that thing that's very special to a husband and wife and takes it outside of that marriage to somebody else. Which is why Jesus says when, when they break those marriage bonds that way, it's understandable if you want to get out because they've got a hard heart. And what's interesting, he also says they don't even have to commit adultery to be considered an adulterer. If because of a hard heart they leave this marriage and they marry somebody else, that again is breaking what God has joined together. 
and they're considered an adulterer because of that hard heart. Now, I'm going to go back to my country roots here, all right, because I grew up in Texas, and I was country when country wasn't cool. It was, I, I'm assuming it is now. I don't know, actually. But I was country when country wasn't cool, put peanuts in my Coke and everything, right? Which, if you haven't done it, do it. Bottled Coke, by the way. Not plastic, not cup. Bottled Coke, peanuts in, change your life. But here's what a hard heart does. Right, A hard heart looks for love in all the wrong places. Right, A person in a relationship that has a hard heart no longer looks for love from God, no longer looks from love for love in their spouse. A hard heart makes a person feel alone. Right? Now you see, some of you feel alone. Some of you are alone because someone did this to you. You didn't have the hard heart they did. For you, I've got comfort coming in just a little bit. But some of you, and this is where I'm gonna get up in your business and I'm gonna step on your toes, all right? Some of you are alone and some of you feel alone because you're the one that had the hard heart. You're the one whose heart has grown cold to God. You're the one that broke off the marriage vows. Now, I'm not saying you're the one that signed the divorce papers, because listen, in the creative world, in the, in the Christian world, we can get so creative about how we justify our own sin. And we can make a marriage so miserable that our spouse has no choice for the protection of themselves, for the protection of the kids, to sign divorce papers, and you have the audacity to blame them for breaking off the marriage. I want you to know I've been counseling too long to fall for that. If you're the one with the hard heart, I am so glad that you are here today because what I want you to know is a hard heart can make you feel alone. It can make you feel alone in a marriage. It can make you feel alone in a crowd. And perhaps you feel alone today because you have a hard heart, just like Jesus is talking about here. And if so, I am so glad you're here because I want you to know that Jesus died for your hard heart. Jesus died so that you can be here today, or if you're listening on the podcast, that you can hear this truth today, that Jesus died for your hard heart, and he died so that your heart can become soft again. You see, he died to provide a way for you to have a relationship with God that is what God has intended from the very beginning, one that is personal and close and where you experience the love of God in your life as if you would from a best friend, as if you would from a father or a mother. That's the relationship that God has intended. And Jesus is the only way into that relationship. And so listen, if this is you today, your way to say yes to Jesus is to confess that hard heart as sin. And to repent, which means to turn away. The, the word for repent literally means to turn. And when you repent, you turn from your ways and you turn to Jesus. That is the, the conviction for you. That is the hope 
for you. But the reality is most of us in this room, that doesn't apply. Now it applies like on Monday, maybe. When you have a hard heart about something else, still do that. But many of you in marriage, you're not the one with a hard heart. You're here with a dissolved marriage wondering what in the world happened. Well, Jesus is going to address that next. Watch this, because now the disciples chime in. So the Pharisees had just asked this question. The disciples are there too, and they've heard this interaction. And look at their response, because it's probably the response that we would have if we were there too. In verse 10, it says, The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. In other words, they're like, listen, if this is the way this works, just tap me out. I'm not going to participate. And what Jesus does is, is this is going to lead to our scandalous statement about being alone and, and when we feel alone. Look at verse 11. It says, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. In other words, not too many people know and understand what Jesus is about to say here in this dialogue that we get to see our scandalous statement. But he's saying, he's kind of prepping them. Okay, you ready? In verse 12, he says, for there are eunuchs. So eunuchs means men who have been castrated. And he's going to say they were either born that way or have been made that way. But there's another group who have made a choice. It says, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And so it's these three groups, this group that was born that way, this group that was made that way by men, and there's this other group that have actually chosen to be alone. And in them, Jesus exposes the secret, the scandalous statement about what it means to be alone because they've chosen to be alone for the sake of the kingdom is what Jesus says. In other words, when they feel alone, to kind of put it in our culture, we don't have eunuchs uh, as much anymore, right? But we got people who feel alone and we got people who are known for having this, this feeling of aloneness, or at least assumed to. And Jesus says there's, a, there's a, a, a truth about a particular group of people where they approach it completely differently and that they see this not as a curse. They don't see singleness as something to be dreaded. They actually see it as an opportunity to express the kingdom of God to those around them. They, they see it as an opportunity to, to experience God in a way that's unique to just that group. And they, they see it as an opportunity to not only experience God, but to express what they experience and to connect with God's people. That's, that's what it means for the sake of the kingdom. And so our scandalous truth is this, that your singleness, and, and even if you're not single, if you're married, when you feel alone, your singleness isn't a curse that your singleness is actually an opportunity from God. That your singleness isn't a curse. Your singleness is an opportunity, is what Jesus says. And look at the rest of verse 12. It says, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, this word receive kind of brings to mind of getting a gift and having it given to you, and that's one of the ways to look at it, but it also means to make room for it. So, so 
what Jesus, to just kind of bring us to our culture, if I said, hey, I've got a new car for you that I'm gonna give you at six o'clock tonight, but before I give it to you at six o'clock tonight, you gotta make room in your garage for it. And if you don't have room in your garage, or if you don't have a garage, you at least need a carport for it. You know what all of y'all would be doing this afternoon? You'd be cleaning out your garage or running to Home Depot and figuring out how to make a carport by six o'clock. That's what Jesus is saying. This truth, the fact that, that your singleness isn't a curse, that your singleness is actually an opportunity from God, you've gotta make room for this truth. You gotta change the way you do things. You might have to clean stuff out of the garage for this truth. You might have to build a whole new construct of your life to, to understand and live out this truth. That your singleness is an opportunity. Now for some of you, If your singleness is due to a hard heart, if that loneliness that you feel is due to a hard heart, this opportunity is still a warning to you. There is a better way to live life than to live it with a hard heart. But if your loneliness isn't due to a hard heart, it's an opportunity to express your experience with God, to express God's ways, and to connect with God's people. And here's what this means. And just terms for us. It means this. It means you can be alone, but you don't have to feel alone. When I was, uh, after my first year of teaching, I backpacked across Europe, had my first summer off, backpacked across Europe, thought it was going to be a great time. Me and another person were supposed to go together. It'd be great. They ended up backing out about a month before the trip. <clears throat> so the, <clears throat> the question that I had was, do I go alone or do I not go? I thought, I'm gonna go alone, right? It's Europe. And there were times on that trip where I felt incredibly alone. Like I remember being in Switzerland and y'all are gonna be like, oh, sounds awful. But I'd hiked up in the Swiss Alps and there was this valley that I was looking at over a lake that was a blue like I've never seen blue before. And just the mountains, the snow cap, I mean, everything. It was, you couldn't paint or take a picture that could capture the beauty that I saw. And I was literally alone. And there was nobody there to see it with me. I remember being at the, in Paris, being like standing middle center at the bottom of the Eiffel Tower, like looking up to the center of the Eiffel Tower and being alone and just thinking, gosh, I wish I had somebody here to share this with, somebody here to experience this with. But what I learned on that trip, those eight weeks where I was by myself backpacking across Europe, is that I was really never alone. That wherever I was, God is and has been, and will be, and that I was never, ever alone. And on that trip, I learned to pray, because it was on that trip that I realized that God loved me so much that I could just talk to him at any point during the day. I didn't have to have my Bible open. I didn't have to sit in my comfy chair I didn't have to like be in a specific pose. God loved me and wanted to hear from me. And y'all, there was one time, and this is, there are a couple of moments where God just drove it home. And, and one time, I can't even remember what country I was in, but I remember they had guns um, as you left the subway. 
and uh, I didn't have my ticket. I had it when I got on the subway, and for some reason, I didn't have it when I got off the subway. And they were holding me, they were, they were standing there with guns saying if I didn't find the ticket, they would have to take me to a special room. I didn't know what happened in that special room, but I didn't want to know what happened in that special room because I'm assuming they weren't dispensing subway tickets in that special room. And so literally I'm standing there and I'm emptying out my pockets and I'm pulling it and there's nothing. And I know I had put the, the ticket in my pocket and, and I'm freaking out, as you can imagine. And I put my hand in my pocket and I'm like, Jesus, I need this ticket. And it was just like that. Like, again, it wasn't this deep-seated prayer. I didn't quote a verse first about Jesus finding the lost pearl or the lost coin and find my lost ticket. That probably would have been great at the moment, but all I knew is I needed the ticket. And y'all, I had my hand in my pocket, and I literally felt paper fall into my hand. And I pulled it out, and I gave it to the subway guy with, like, wide eyes because he just saw me pull my pockets out and it not be in there. And I just gave it to him, and I was like, and just walked off. Because I didn't know what just happened, but I knew the God of the universe just gave me a subway ticket. Because apparently he didn't want me to go in that special room either. (laughs) Which I'm very thankful for. You see, I learned how to pray during that time. And so you can be alone, but you don't have to feel alone. You don't believe me? Listen, listen to what Paul has to say. You can turn to 1 Corinthians or you can just, just listen to me as I read it. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In verse 8, Paul says this. He says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. And here's why. In verse 32, he says, I want you to feel free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife, and his his interests are divided. The unmarried widow, I mean the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay restraints upon you, but to promote good order into this and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. You see, what what Paul is saying here is that when you feel alone, there is an opportunity. Whether you're single, divorced, widowed, or never married, there is this opportunity to express a relationship with God like you can't have when you're married. After the first service, I had some married folks come up to me. They were like, listen, I want to feel alone. I'm never alone. I need to feel. I'm like, that's a different sermon for a different day. (laughs) All right? Like married people, do you understand what Paul is saying here? Single people, do you understand what Paul is saying here? I could not have done an eight-week backpacking trip if I was married and had kids if I didn't want to actually come back, right? That was a unique opportunity. And I got to experience God in a way that I couldn't experience at this season in my life. And so your singleness is a good opportunity from God. So are you alone? Do you feel alone? Sometimes we feel alone and we don't understand why we're alone. And it could be this. This is crazy. But for those of you who are single, 
your singleness could actually be God's kindness to you. Right? Because God has given you a good opportunity that maybe you can only have alone. That's biblical singleness. Now listen, Paul is saying he's not downgrading marriage at all. He's saying marriage is honorable. But he is acknowledging the fact that singleness is better. Because you can live in pure and holy devotion. And so the question is, when you feel alone, what are you going to do with it? Because this isn't just about being single. Remember the beginning of the message, I asked, when do you feel alone? That this truth is still good for you. And we can learn from our single brothers and sisters how good this is to be alone. That when we're alone, it is an opportunity. And it's an opportunity to connect with God and to express his ways and to connect with his people. And here's what that means. It means you can learn from God and you can show others what you've learned. That's, that's expressing his ways. You can connect with people. You can join a growth group. You can join two growth groups if you want. You can join two growth groups and a focus group. You can lead a growth group. You can lead a ministry. You can serve. Listen, there are many people in scripture who are single who did incredible things for God, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, Daniel, Paul, John the Baptist, Anna, who prophesied over Jesus as a baby, the sisters, Mary and Martha, and of course, Jesus was single. Hello. See, if you're single, here's what happens in churches. And, and, and I apologize for this. It, it's not our view here, but it is how it can feel. And I, I want to say this out loud because I want you to hear it. Singles are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And I don't care why you're single. You are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. The gospel is just as true for you as it is for the husband and wife sitting in the same row as you. All of these people in scripture, being alone was their opportunity to express God's ways and to connect with his people and it can be for you too. If you are alone, you are not a second class citizen. And I know church can make you feel this way because we emphasize families and we talk a lot about marriage. And listen, I'm sorry for that. I don't have a fix for it. It just is. But what I want you to hear is that you are not neglected. You are not lower than. God has given you an incredible opportunity to glorify him in full devotion. And see, church, when we're alone, we don't have to feel alone. And when we don't feel alone, when we are alone, when we realize that God is with us everywhere we are, let me tell you what happens. Your life becomes a better life. And the lives around you become better lives. I mean, this sounds a little cliche, but guys, if we get this, the world really does become a better place. That's how scandalous this truth is. And so church, let's live this way. When we feel alone, let's remember we are not alone. And we have a God who loves us. 
And if it's a hard heart that is making us alone, let's repent, confess, and run to Jesus. And if it's not a hard heart, let's just run to Jesus. Let's pray.